I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what big wireless does. They charge you a lot. We charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. <laughs> this week's episode, Kerwin Ray, leading entrepreneur and personal development icon here in Australia, we dive deep on inner transformation and business transformation and the nexus between the two and how potentially entrepreneurs are the bottlenecks in their businesses. And also one of my favorite conversations to have, as you know, inspired evolution, spiritual entrepreneurship about using business as the ultimate vehicle for personal development. Um, I think that's actually going to be the title of this episode. It is such a great episode. We talk about lots of different things about how to actually regulate your emotions and self-mastery. Man, this conversation will help you with business. It'll help you with your personal development and help you realize how best to unlock the best within you to facilitate the best life that you can live. Tune in. If you're loving these inspired evolution conversations such as this one, please do us a favor, hit subscribe, hit the bell notification, do yourself a favor, keep tuning in, stay inspired, keep evolving. Love you. Welcome to the Inspired Evolution, a show dedicated to helping you actually live the life that you love. I'm your host, Amrit Sandhu, international speaker, global coach, and loving podcaster. As a gift for tuning into this podcast, I have something really special just for you. My premium short course, which can teach you how to meditate in just seven days. You can download it now at www.inspiredevolution.com forward slash learn. That's www.inspiredevolution.com forward slash learn. Learn how to meditate in just seven days. Sit back, relax, and enjoy this powerfully insightful conversation. Don't forget to hit subscribe so you don't miss any of the latest episodes launching every Monday designed to help you live the life you love and keep you inspired to evolve. Welcome to the Inspired Evolution, and it is, ladies, gentlemen, plants, creatures of all kinds, it is a pleasure to be here today. We've got with us Kerwin Ray. Kerwin, how are you, brother? 
Mate, don't don't leave out the beings that aren't just human as well. So, mate, I'm I'm unstoppable. Thank you, mate. I appreciate you asking. Oh, I love it. I love it. For those tuning into Kerwin for the first time, you've either been living under a rock, which I won't hold you, I won't hold that against you, but let me just quickly do the honors. He is one of Australia's leading business strategists. He's helping business owners succeed for over a decade. He's consulted in 11 countries, over 154 different industries, and he's taught hundreds of thousands of people all over the world through transformative educational seminars. Personally, I know him and he's widely recognized as an Australian icon of personal and business development. He's coached thousands upon thousands of consultants and coaches on business development, marketing, sales, human behavior, and entrepreneurial psychology. Brother, it is such a pleasure to have you here today. Thank you, mate. Much of an absolute pleasure to be here. So I was just tuning in before you became a business consultant, um, traveling all over the world, helping people grow their businesses and grow themselves. What were you doing prior to that? Like, what was it that sort of brought you on the journey to that? Yeah, mate, I, I've done a lot of things. I, I tried to sit down and calculate this once, you know, from when I started working, whether it be, you know, because I started working before I was actually able to or legally able to work. And, you know, from when I was first able to earn a, earn a buck and I think till now, I think it was close to 48 different jobs um, oh. that I had, you know, and that's, you know, I started working at about 12, 13 you know, I've done everything that most people have done, you know, washed cars, um, mowed lawns. Uh, I had a little horse manure business for a little bit of time as well, where I used to shovel horse manure. I got paid to shovel stables, put them into, put all the manure into bags. And I took those bags door to door. And that was my first proper business was selling manure door to door. Um, and, uh, just to make enough money to go to the Townsville show. And after about <laughs> six weeks, uh, we'd made over 360 bucks. Um, got a got a distributor who basically would buy everything that I could basically get. And it got to the point where we ran out of shit. And so I had my mate at one end with the horse with a feed bag and me at the other end of the horse with a shovel. And we kind of coined the term no shit. I don't know if that before, <laughs> but, you know, it came from us in far north Queensland. Uh, and then we moved into chocolates. And um, the worst thing you could possibly do is give kids hundreds of dollars in um, in cash and give them access to chocolates. Um, and that was not a good business move. We, uh, we basically, we ate most of our profits. We did very, very quickly. Uh, and we had a lot of friends for a very short period of time until the chocolate ran out. Um, but you know, even at high school, I had, um, three or four different jobs. I, I opened a gym before school and you know, I'd been training from a very early age. So I, I was managing a gym at about the age of 15, 16. I'd do the opens at the gym. Uh, I'd basically finish there, run to school, and after school, I'd be on a bus straight to the Hyperdome, Logan Hyperdome, and I'd work at Sizzler from about 4.15 until 1 a.m., 1.30 in the morning, do clothes every single night. And that was pretty much five, six days a week. And then on the weekends, I was working in a range of different jobs as a laborer and a landscaper um, and doing other, ca you know, just other cash jobs. And, you know, once I left school, <clears throat> I got straight into security because I was quite a big lad. And I, uh, you know, I was, I was at that point, I'd won state and national titles for bodybuilding and, and for powerlifting. Um, and I was also, uh, I'd been training martial arts since the age of 11 and, and I'd been a competitive Muay Thai fighter for a couple of years. And so I was a big fella and I could, I could handle myself. And my, my first job out of school was, uh, straight into security. And I actually started working security cause I was 18 in year 12. And so I started actually working at, um, Springwood hotel in, when I was in year 12. So while everyone else was going out and getting shit faced on the weekend, I was throwing them out of the pub because <laughs> I was actually the bouncer. Um, and um, yeah, and from there, I, I kind of didn't enjoy the pubs, but I got very heavily involved in um, personal protection. And so I worked personal protection for a lot of big um, uh, big names like uh, Jimmy Barnes a number of occasions, Madonna, U2, Bon Jovi. Bon Jovi was the first gig I ever had. Um, E17 in excess and so anytime a gig came to town I, I had the great pr privilege of being able to look after them and 
you know, whether it be taking them to the venue and coordinating and supporting security at venues and uh, and at gigs and then after parties and that kind of stuff. And so, yeah, it was quite a quite an experience. But then uh, after four and a half years of pubs, clubs, nightclubs, I got put in some of the most violent venues in southeast Queensland um, because I was I was very good at my job, not because just because I was a big fella and I could move, but I was a really good communicator. You know, mm. and that's where I really learnt my my communication skills because I was put in some incredibly um, violent. Um, situations and destinations and you know there's there's often a number of ways to diffuse a violent situation and one of them is to use brawn and 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 fists um and other the other ways to communicate and try and talk people out of situations and you know it just so happened i was good at both but um i don't know how far you date back or what experience you've got but it was about four and a half almost five years in i had one of my um, best mates who was shot dead on the on the door of a nightclub in Brisbane at Grand Orbit, Louis Hapawadi. May um, he rest in peace. Incredible man. And it was about two weeks after that that I um, was walking across the Story Bridge and I decided to, yeah, change my life. I threw my phone off the bridge. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. And uh, I quit my job um, and I started packing shelves at Rebel Sport. And, um, you know, within about six weeks of packing shelves at Rebel Sport, no, it was actually about three weeks of packing shelves at Rebel Sport, they realized that I was better than, that I had more, they had a better I had more ability than just packing, putting shit on shelves. <laughs> and um, they started getting me selling fitness equipment. And the short story from there is I had a, you know, one of the, the largest fitness equipment suppliers in the country came in um, to do a price check. I tried to sell him a treadmill and he offered me a job. And then uh, I ended up managing stores for him for about three years before I got sacked for turning up late every single day for three months because I could not be asked. I uh, did not enjoy that job at the end of it. Mm. And uh, from there, that's when I started my entrepreneurial journey. And I had a number of different businesses. Um, one of them that um, had a level of success, I got back into the security industry, but this time in hardware. So I was selling hardware systems door to door. And at the age of about 22, I had 45 field agents that uh, I used to take out in the field every single day and they'd door knock every single day do surveys and at the end that offer an opportunity for us to come back and give them some gifts at night and do a presentation on how to secure their home and then we would you know sell a security system uh, and that business ended up being quite successful it ended up being shut down because um just based on the situation circumstance business partners i didn't know how to choose the right partner mm. and um by virtue of that going down i ended up getting a job to pay off all the debt with a guy called Fra uh, Stephen Covey uh, at Franklin Covey. And I basically took my skills for sales and marketing in there, had a huge impact before, um, you know, I realized I'm just not good as an employee. And that's when I got back into working for myself. And um, you know, I started supporting others. I was really good at marketing and sales. And I spent uh, a bit of money 
uh, in a, on a mentor and that mentor mentored me and ended up realizing that I had a lot more skills and he ended up asking me to come and partner in his business. Mm. And so the, the very first mentor that I had ended up about six months later asking me to work with him in his business and I built that into a massive business and since then, yeah, I've kind of just gotten to the, the knack of helping people. And it was about 2000, I've been speaking since about 2000, but it was probably around 2000 and I think 2006, 2007, when I actually started to formalize, I guess you could say, um, a, a education business because mm -hmm. I realized I could work with one, you know, I could maybe work with 10, 15 clients at a time, but when I was you know, running events, I could work with, you know, 20 people, 30 people, 40 people at a time. And, you know, and now in some of our events, we, we, we have a few more than that as well. And mm -hmm. uh, fast forward to 2021 and I'm, I'm an overnight success. <laughs> <laughs> Love that. Thank you. Cheers. There's uh, there's so much in that. And I think the key there's so many keys in there, man. One of the things that um really rings through from your story and your journey the whole way through is is this this idea of service and helping people. Um and for those that have not been living under a rock and tuned into any of your content that comes out, it's consistently service oriented. Um just trying to help people change their lives, change their business. Um, I want to sort of peel back just for, I, I do want to talk about service to others, uh, in this, in this episode, but I want to tune back into serving yourself. Like the question around business being like an, a vehicle for personal development, you know, how, how that is so, um, it's a conversation that's not really present for a lot of people, I feel. But when I'm tuning into you, it's just like my business is my is my personal growth and personal development. Can you expand on Absolutely. that and tell us more about that? Look, I think everyone's life is their personal development. They're just either woken up to that fact or they're still asleep at the wheel. Um, and I think entrepreneurs and business owners, you know, we're a strange breed and not everybody's cut out to be an entrepreneur and that's okay. And that just because you're not an entrepreneur doesn't mean that your life is a vehicle for personal isn't a vehicle for personal development. And because you, you don't you can be in a in a job but still have a hard life, you know. But I think one of the things that I've correlated is, you know, the the harder the things are that you do, the more you learn about who you are. Mm. Uh, and the more you are able to develop, you know, aspects of who you are, specifically, you know, perseverance, grit and, you know, the things that are important when it comes to creating success. But that's where I think entrepreneurs are a little bit of an an, an unusual beast whereby you know, we don't like authority. We don't like being told what to do. We often give the finger to the man and say, fuck you. And we quit our job and we end up going into our own business. And then six weeks in, we're like, well, someone please tell me what to do. Like, what I'm doing. Um, you know, and we have to then work it out, you know, and mm. we either work it out, you know, the, the, the smart way by asking for help or we work it out the dumb way by just trying to do everything our, on our own. And, you know, it's probably fair to say that stupid comes first for most of us. And stupid came first for me for a number of years. I tried to work it out and that's why I had a lot of failures. I didn't ask for help. Mm. Um, but by virtue of being in business, you know, I had to do a lot of very tough things and it would just so happen that I'd done a lot of very tough things my entire life, you know. Um, you know, I've experienced a disproportionate amount of, I guess you could say, um, challenge, you know, mm -hmm. as a kid, ADHD, dyslexic, failed every single, every single subject in every single year from year one to year 12. Like, I don't know if anyone can contemplate what that is like because I don't know if there's many people out there that know every three months you get a report card and you know you're just going to you're getting your ass handed to you by the teacher not just at the, at the end of every term but every single day every single class because I just have a challenge when it came to paying attention mm. I then have to go home and explain to two different parents and two different sites the same thing get my ass handed to me by my mum ass handed to me by my dad and then anyone else in between who wanted to have a say and so that's challenging that's difficult and you kind of I kind of got used to losing I guess you could say and the only mm. thing I was really good at was athletics 
but I became a really good loser. And I, you know, I, I often joke about it. I just became so conditioned to losing that it just didn't bother me. I just wasn't bothered by it because I just, I was used to it. You know, when you mm. lose every day at school based on the scorecard of how you succeed at school, when you lose every quarter, you know, on a term based on what the scorecard is, you kind of just get accustomed to it. And I think that's a challenge for a lot of people. They don't experience a lot of loss. And so when they do, they go, oh my God, this is terrible. Yeah. And whereas to me, it was like, fuck man, this is just Monday. Um, and so... I think a lot of entrepreneurs, by virtue of choosing the path, they're a little wounded, you know, whether you want to call them broken. You know, for me, I think we all carry wounds. Mm -hmm. um, but I think people often choose things that are difficult unconsciously as a way to heal. Mm. And entrepreneurship is an incredible example of a vehicle that is very difficult. There's a lot of stress. You have to learn a lot about yourself in order to navigate yourself and others. And by virtue of that, if you do it well and you ultimately do it, you know, with a level of conscious and you become more conscious in your pursuit of you know, the growth of the business, you start to realize, well, hang on a second, my business growth is directly correlated with my personal growth. And the more mm. I grow, the more my business grows. And so I need to work on me. And oftentimes working on me is not just working on my strength and becoming stronger and then being able to learn how to refine some of my, my weaknesses, but it's about going, okay, I notice that there are certain things that I do that keep fucking up my success. You know, some mm. people call it self-sabotage, the fear of success, the fear of failure, whatever your fucking label is, that's fine. But you start to realize, man, I'm carrying some stuff here. And, mm. um, you know, and in order for me to move quickly, I need to put some of this down. And some people have checked in luggage and some people have carry on. And, you mm. know, at some point we all go, okay, it's easier to move when I'm not carrying something. Mm. So let's put this bag down, let's open it, and let's have a look inside. And that's what a lot of people don't do. Mm -hmm. You know, and they don't spend the time by themselves to look at their own baggage and they're constantly using business and life as a distraction. But when you have the opportunity to stop and slow down and just be with self, you, know, you get to start seeing what's inside that bag and then you get to really do the work. I love that. Thank you so much for sharing that. One of the things that comes through for me is your is is in your opinion of it all. Um, obviously, you said life is, is the personal development um, journey. Is this education... Uh, platform that you've created is this your I need a better languaging around this but the best the, the your favorite success or your um, the best business success that you've experienced the greatest success that I've experienced in life so far to date bar none nothing comes even a fraction of a, being close uh, is my son <laughs> because you look at and again I'm at, you, you know exactly where, where you, you haven't experienced this yet but you're about to <laughs> You know, I'm in the human performance business, you know, and I, I, I worked out very early on in my life that I was obsessed with human performance. You know, I was obsessed with human performance at the age of 12 because I wanted to do what He-Man could do. Mm. I wanted to do what Spider-Man could do. And I was like, how do these guys perform at such a level? And so, you know, by virtue uh, of that, you know, I became obsessed very early on with human performance. That's why I started lifting weights. That's why I started training martial arts because I wanted to have you know, extraordinary, extraordinary abilities, um, and, or I guess what you could say superpowers, because that's what I grew up being completely fascinated by. I was fascinated by superpowers. And then as you grow and as you develop and as you start to develop your own potential, you know, for me, I started to realize that there was a very strong correlation between me developing my potential and sharing that and going, oh, fuck, this is what works for me. You know, you've got this problem. Hey, try this. Mm. And so by virtue of that, you know, as you said, I'm very service orientated and, you know, I think it's really important to understand my service starts with me because if I'm not the best version of myself, I can't help the most amount of people. 
But what I started to realize was I love to fucking help people. I love to tweak people. You know, we're a trillion dollars piece of biotech, aren't we? Like we're a trillion, <laughs> think of this. You're a trillion dollar piece of biotech in a box. You know, if you were to have you in a box and you could replicate you in a box, you'd be a trillion dollar fucking pitch in a box. Why? Because computing science, computer science for the last you know, 80, 90 years has been trying to do one thing, replicate us not mm. just us the brain if you can replicate everything fuck we're multi-trillion dollar yeah you know, but the human brain you know processes 16 trillion bits of information every second you know and, and there's not a lot of computers that can do that kind of processing mm. and so we've been trying to replicate this and so by virtue of me trying to understand this trillion dollar piece of biotech i've come up with a lot of good strategies that i then share with other people and so my my virtue my legacy is helping people and having an impact on their life but then along comes a son mm. you know along comes a child and then you start to go, fuck, this is the most important client. Well, the second most <laughs> important client I'm ever going to have in my life. The most important client you're ever going to have in your life is you. Mm. And the second most important client, the second most important project you're ever going to have in your life, well, for me anyway, based on my values, was my son. And I was like, you know what? There's no fucking around here. I'm a 24-hour – and you might go, oh, this is a little extreme. But I started to realize, I'm, like I'm a 24-hour a day, 365 day dad. But I'm a 24-hour, 365-day-a-year coach. Because I've got this little human who's developing and evolving in front of me. And fundamentally, every single thing I do, every single thing I say, every environment that I place him in is going to, in some level, affect his progress, his development, and his evolution. And so I take that shit very seriously. And so mm. now when I look at my son and I look at his behaviors and I look at him say things like, Dad, would a leader do that? Or see someone do something, go, Dad, oh, a leader wouldn't do that, would they, Dad? And I'll be like, no. And he would go in and do something. And so he goes, oh, that's really amazing. Thanks for doing that. And he goes, well, I'm just a leader. You know, to see him <laughs> behave in a way that is the expression of the countless thousands of corrections, countless thousands of suggestions, install installations and downloads that I've consciously tried to, you know, provide this little human with. And then you sit back and you look at them then behaving autonomously and demonstrating and behaving in a way that you're just like, fuck me, you've just got everything ahead of your kid. And so to me, that's the greatest success I've ever had in my life. But no, um, nothing's come close. I love that. Thank you so much for sharing that. Is there, I know uh, tuning into parenting sometimes, uh, we say that I find people are saying one thing to their kids, but then modeling a different sample of behavior, being as conscious yes. as you are about weaving your way forward. Is there a lot of pressure in the behavior that you model um, and the, the reflection that's coming well, back? it depends on how you determine pressure. Pressure to mm. me is an opportunity to perform at a higher level than other people. And so I like pressure. I like expectation. And so do I get it right every time? No. I sometimes scream like a foghorn. I sometimes swear. Mm. But I can guarantee you every single time I raise my voice or every single time you know, a swear word comes out of my mouth, I get down on one knee, uh, look him in the eye, and I say, I'm sorry. Daddy shouldn't have done that. And I'll explain what I, I'll apologize. I'll explain what I'm apologizing about. And then I'll explain what I should have done differently. Mm. And which is exactly the same when he does something, you know, that is outside of what's considered to be acceptable in whatever environment we're in. You know, I'll get down to his level and I'll say, once he's calmed down and say, hey, listen, why did you do that? What would be a better, what could you have done differently? And what will you do differently next time? And so by virtue of me demonstrating how I deal with my issues, mm. I'm modeling and working through with him how we handle his issues. Mm. And so for me, I'm fundamentally aware that every time I see something from him that I'm not, you know, um, I guess you could say approving of, mm. I know he's picked that up from somewhere. <laughs> okay. And it would be so easy to go, well, it wasn't me. He, picked, he must have picked it up at his mum's house. I don't do that. Mm. I look at me and go, where's my responsibility in this equation? And what behaviors do I need to demonstrate? 
in order to you know ensure that you know he's not necessarily having to deal with some of the issues that I had to deal with. You know, hence mm. the, the the saying, "Pass down wisdom, not wounds." You know, and so oftentimes in communication with my son, especially if it's around discipline, I'm not trying to make him wrong. And a parent should never make their child wrong. They should always just make their child think. You know, mm. and when you've got a child, it's basically like a puppy. You know, they've got this reptilian cortex, the the mammalian cortex, but they haven't got a fully active, fully connected neocortex here, so they can't problem solve. They mm. can't think rationally. They mm. are irrational. And so it takes a lot longer to teach a kid who can't think rationally how to think. And but most parents want to do things that act fast, that create fast corrections, dominance, aggression, violence, you know. That creates a fast response, but it creates more problems later. Whereas for me, I like to do things slowly that are painful, that I have to do repetitiously over and over and over and over and over again, that at some point creates this beautiful autonomous behavior that just, you know, um, works autonomously and doesn't require, in most cases, my intervention. Mm, ticks like a wet old machine. Thank you for that. I um I wanted to ask Mate, you. I wouldn't say we're a well-oiled machine. I'd say that there's a few rusty bits, um, and every now and then I'd like to throw a spanner in the mix because I realise you know I've got to give him some stuff to work on, and that's the way I realise you know when I f when I fuck up and inevitably I do. Mm. Okay, I don't go. Oh no, I've ruined my son. I'll put him in the bin and I'll start again. I just go, you know what? Okay, I've got to give him something to work on. Mm. And if I do give him some wounds, and hopefully I don't give him, you know, some of the wounds that I carried, mm. um, you know, I realize that by virtue of that gift, mm. that will require a level of work for him to resolve. And that work will be what enables him to realize and fulfill and express some form of potential. Mm. Thank you so much. So talking about potential, um, Sometimes I hear this conversation around hustle and sometimes I hear this conversation around alignment. And I know in your past, there's been a lot of like, a lot of hustle. Like there's, it's, you've been showing up like nobody's business, right? Um, again and 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 again. But then sometimes I feel like the other people that are discounting of the hustle say, oh, it's just a matter of alignment, just align to what it is that you want to express. And I feel like when I tune into you and education and serving and helping others, you can clearly see that you're aligned to what it is that you really want to share and are really passionate about and really love doing. Where do you sit in between that conversation of alignment and hustle? Are they mutually exclusive or, you know, is there a, is there a path for both of them? No, I, I'm all about performance. And at the end of the day, you've got to be aligned with something in order to achieve. The more aligned you are with something that's important, the more enabled you are to achieve levels of flow. Hmm. And flow is an incredibly important ingredient in any form of you know, hustle. Because to me, there's two ways you can hustle. You can hustle hard or you can hustle flow. Mm. Yeah, you know, hustle hard is where you're constantly like pushing yourself to do the things that you don't want to do that are very difficult and hard. That's that's when someone's misaligned, right? Mm. Whereas for me, I can outwork pretty much anyone that I know, and in most cases, you know, fight, run laps around them because I can hustle while being aligned, which means my energy consumption. See, mm. this is the thing. Most people confuse, you know, um, hard work as uh, and hustle as being the same thing they're not for mm. me it's all about op the optimization of energy consumption you know and f uh, when we understand that when we're in a flow state our body consumes less energy and so by virtue we have longer windows for performance mm -hmm. when you're not in flow and you're trying to do things that you don't want to do you consume vast amounts of more energy and this is coming from someone who's ADHD. So when I try and focus on something that I'm not interested in, I have to invest for every hour of time that I invest on something I'm not interested in, I will burn five to six hours worth of energy. Mm. 
Now, if I spend an hour doing something that I love, I will invest, and I'm in flow, in most cases, I'll be able to invest maybe five to 10 minutes of energy because I'm in flow. And so I have a level of momentum. I have a level of grace. I'll have a level of ease as the way that I navigate what I do. And so, you know, if you're trying to race me based on swimming 100 meters, but you're swimming upstream and I'm swimming downstream, I'm going to take you every day of the week. Mm-hmm. And so for me, hustle is important, but being aligned with what you're hustling for is also critical. But mm-hmm. I say to people around the hustle argument, well, hard work's the key to success. Okay, how many people out here work really fucking hard and their bank account did not get their memo? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Plenty. Hard mm-hmm. work is not the key to success. Otherwise, you'd see millions more Australians, million more Americans, millions more people all over the world who had much larger bank accounts. It has nothing to do with hard work. Don't get me wrong, it's a variable, but it's are you working hard on the right things? Are you working hard on the priorities? Or are you just trying to get through the day? And that's what I've discovered. Most people aren't hustling. You know, they have a to do list that is just literally a get through the day list. Mm-hmm. And so for me, how do you ensure that you are aligned? I do at least three things every day that, have a t- that will have a consequence 10 years from now. Not just a consequence to get me to the end of the day, a consequence that will get me, that will have an impact 10 years from now. And so for me, that's what I would refer to as a strategic hustle that is aligned with a value system that enables me to crush my goals. You know, Because a lot of people um, talk about goal setting. And I say goal setting for the most part is a complete waste of time. Mm. Because when most people do goal setting, they do what I refer to as social goal setting. They'll go, okay, what, what have I been conditioned socially to want to aspire to? Yeah. You know, oh, I want to have the car. I want to have the money. I want to have the house. Okay, great. Now, are your value systems aligned with those as being organic priorities or are those priorities completely out of alignment with anything that is really genuinely important to you? You know, one of the things that I teach in a program called Power to Create is I say, I teach everyone that there's four layers to your psychology and the third layer in your psychology is what I refer to as your value system and the value system is your motivational system. Mm-hmm. And most people are setting goals that are outside their motivational system that's not aligned with a value. Now, a value is something that is actually important to you, not something that you tell people. You know, we all know that person who goes, oh, honesty is really important to me. 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 It's a bit more intrinsic. And then you see him fucking, <laughs> you know, talking, th- talking shit or, you know, exaggerating or minimizing on the daily. Mm. But they tell you all the time that honesty is really important to you. Mm-hmm. And on the other hand, you see people that are just really honest. Really honest people don't have to tell you they're really honest. They just <laughs> are. Yeah. Okay. And really hardworking people don't have to bang on about how hard they work because that's just what they do. Mm. And so for me, the values are the things that we do intrinsically that we don't have to be asked to do. It's just naturally what we do. And when we can align our goals with things that we are naturally motivated to do, there's a much greater probability of following through and there's a much greater probability of actually achieving the things that we want. But when you look at money as an example, because most people use money as a scorecard in the Western world for success and many other parts of the world as well. But what a lot of people don't understand is you've got, in most cases, 20, 30 years of conditioning that is anti-money conditioning. And in most cases, value, most people go, do you value money? Oh, I really value money. How much money have you got? How much money do you make? How much money do you keep? If you really value money, it flows to you effortlessly and you're able to keep large volumes of it. Mm-hmm. That's a legitimate value on money. Okay. If you don't value money, you'll struggle to get money. You might be able to get just enough money to survive and get by, but then you'll come up with all these creative ways to fucking get rid of it very quickly if you get a little bit too much of an excess. But you've got to understand why. Because if you understand that all of us grew up in an environment where we were taught money is the root of all. Evil, unfortunately. Evil. Money doesn't grow on. Trees, unfortunately. Okay. And then we start hearing, you know, our parents fight about 
oh, we can't afford that. What do you think? I'm made of money. You know, mm. two out of three divorces in this country are a result of financial strain and financial arguments. Mm. You know, then we start watching cartoons. And who's the wealthy person in the cartoons? The evil person. The fucking evil guy. Mm. The guy who eats kids. You know, Scrooge McDuck or, you know, uh, Monty Burns. Mm. And then we start getting into school and we start seeing how other people treat people who are wealthy. And we start seeing, oh, they get, in most cases, unless they go to a wealthy school, but if you've got someone that goes to a low socioeconomic school who has money, in most cases, they'll be ostracized, they'll be teased, and sometimes they'll be bullied. Mm-hmm. And then we get old enough to read the newspapers, and we start reading shit about, well, you know, the Australian tax office or the IRS is targeting the world's most wealthy people in a big tax sting. Mm-hmm. And we get conditioned to think that wealth is actually quite bad. Mm-hmm. Wealth is bad for our health, wealth is bad for our family, and wealth is bad for social. Mm-hmm. And so what do we do? We learn to use money as a tool to get by. Mm. And then we don't value money. We value things like health more than money, which we should. We value things like family more than money, which we should. But what we don't realize is by virtue of thinking that money is counter to to having happiness in family, we run away from the opportunities that present itself to have more. Because if you've grown up in an environment where you've been told money is the root of all evil and you hear your parents fight about money and maybe they divorced over money, okay, you start realizing, fuck, unconsciously, every time you have the opportunity to make money, you go, fuck, hang, hang on, I know what happened here. The family broke up. Mm-hmm. I know what happened here. There was arguments. And so then you do this self-sabotage behaviors where you go, oh, you don't, you don't do something, you do something and you fuck it up. And you go, I don't know why I did that. I keep, self, I keep sabotaging myself. I don't know why. Maybe I need to go and do a fucking personal development seminar. Mm-hmm. Or maybe you just need to spend an extended period of time with yourself to understand what your stories are. Mm-hmm. Okay. H- how you talk about money when you don't think, when no one's listening. Mm-hmm. And when you start to realize that, you start to go, shit, I've got some beliefs around money that I didn't realize I had. And I've got a value system that doesn't align with money whatsoever. Mm. And so then we need to not reorganize our values because, you know, there's a lot of data to say in research that once your values are set, they're set. But what you can do is you can connect them to new things. Mm. And you might value family as number one mm-hmm. and you might see money as a threat to family. And so you remove yourself consciously or unconsciously from the opportunities to make more money. However, if you become conscious of that, you go, oh, okay, I can see what I'm doing here. Mm. Right, I can't believe I've been doing that for 30, 40, 50 years. Okay, I want to do something differently. All right. So what I need to do is I need to recondition my brain. You know, it's a mm. neurological piece of plastic hardware that can be reprogrammed. And I need to start going, okay, well, if I can make more money, what's going to be the benefit to my family? Mm-hmm. Well, you'll, they'll fight. No, let's ask. We already know the downside of money. Let's look at the mm. upside of money. Because mm-hmm. there's always a duality in everything. You know that. Well... What experiences? What things? And we start to realize, well, shit, the more money I have, and if we stack up, and I call this the Fortune 500 exercise, where you come up with the 500 benefits that money will give your number one highest value. Mm-hmm. And then once you've come up with 500 benefits, and again, this is hard. Most people can't get past 83. You know, most people get to 120 and they tap out. You get to 500, you've, been, you've literally wired your brain differently to go, man, there are now 500 new reasons in my brain connected to the whole motivation of making money. And mm-hmm. then when money presents itself as an opportunity, all of a sudden you find yourself going, well, I feel a little bit more compelled to do something. People say to me, how, how, do you, how are you so motivated? I go, I fucking wake up like this. And yes, am I, I'm not necessarily this high energy all the time, but even when I'm calm, I'm fucking intense. Mm. Like I had a meeting with someone the other day and they're like, I got feedback from the meeting from the person who was pitching. They were like, fuck, you intimidated the shit out of them. I was like, what? Wow. <laughs> you, you were so intense, but you were so calm that mm. they completely lost their game. Mm. See, what you've got to understand, this intensity, this and this extrinsic level of motivation has come as a result of me getting to know where my buttons are. And the more you know where your buttons are, the more you know how to press them to get the behaviors that you want to in the situations that that matter or count. Because most people get in the situation where they can have something great, potential, a sales meeting, a networking meeting, an opportunity, and then they go, fuck, I don't know what to do, and they shit the bed. Mm. Whereas if you know where your buttons are, you can go, I press that button, I behave this way. 
Cohen, what are your highest values? Well, by now, if it hasn't worked it out, pretty clear. Family, like families, like is right up there as number one. Mm-hmm. Um, actually, I'd say it's probably tangled with number two because I've started to see the importance of this. But I've it's been demonstrated from a very early age. Health, mm-hmm. you know. And don't get me wrong, there you know, there's a fat phase that you can see on social media where I think it was between about 2012 and 2000. And, 16 towards 17 i went through the Mm -hmm. fatty phase you know and i went through what i called my fappy phase where i was fat and happy Mm -hmm. and i no longer put an an emphasis on help and i health and i got out of shape but then i started to realize that i was i was losing flow and i was losing a whole lot of other opportunities as a result of me not doing what was important i didn't feel in alignment Mm -hmm. Uh, so for me family's right up there health is right up there um and one of the highest values that i have that's right up there is time alone how Mm -hmm. how do i know that's true because i spend a lot of time by myself Mm. You know, and people say, oh, isn't that lonely? I go, only if you don't know who you are, only if you haven't got a good relationship with yourself. Because if you don't know who you are, how are you going to talk to you? If you don't have a relationship with yourself, every time you're alone, you'll be like, oh, I feel like something's missing. Mm. Okay, alone. It's like, no, I'm never alone. Mm. And in fact, I enjoy my company more than any other fucking human being's company on the planet, including my son. No offense to my son. (laughs) But, you know, that's a big part of who I am is I love spending, you know, I tried to work this out the other day. Because, um, you know, I literally have spent, in some cases, even when I had my son um, and I separated from my wife, I'd have him two weeks on, two weeks off. And over a holiday period, if I didn't have my son, I wouldn't leave the house for seven days. I'd just get things delivered to the house and I wouldn't see another human being in some cases for seven days. Now, I've done that a lot and not just before, since I've had my son, even before that. And so I tried to calculate outside of doing, you know, 60 days, 70 days of a pasna and spending loads of time alone. I would have to say in the last 46 years, easily, I've spent easily two to three years alone mm. by myself without any other motherfucker in the room. And people might go, well, that sounds lonely. Are you kidding me? I know myself better than any other human being I know on the planet. Mm. And the more I know who I am, the easier it is to work with me. Mm. And I don't get confused by my behavior. I get curious. Okay. And I have an enormous level of self-understanding, an enormous level of self-compassion. Why? Because I understand most cases, not all, most cases why I do the things that I do, even when I do things that I don't want to do. And sometimes when I don't, I sit there and I do what everyone else should do and I process. Because I think sometimes when we don't understand something, we try and create meanings that don't exist rather than just sit there and just process and go, okay, let, let, let 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 my brain just work this out. And after a couple of hours or a couple of days, it's going to spit out and go, okay, this is what's going on. And sometimes we need to give ourselves, and, but most people don't know enough about themselves to know, that's how we process information. And so we have an experience and we want to fucking label it straight away and create meaning. Sometimes you've got to leave the meaning, you know, suspend meaning for a few days in, in, in order to be able to see the whole picture and not just one little piece of the puzzle. I love that. Yeah, it's uh, one of the biggest takeaways I'm taking away from that conversation around values is my top values are connection, contribution, and celebration. Um, But what celebration means to me, like you said, is not what it necessarily means to others. For me, that is my health, my vitality, being able to celebrate life. Um, But also realizing that they are very well connected to who I am, but there's always an opportunity to pair them to different meanings um, and that fortune uh, 500. um, And that's what can change. A value never changes, but its Mm. definition or its understanding of expression can and will as you grow. Mm -hmm. The more you get to know yourself, the more you realize what your value, what your value means Mm -hmm. and what it doesn't mean. Mm. Appreciate that. One of the, Things I wanted to talk to you about, because some people listening into this, I, I know someone's going to say this <laughs> at some point, and maybe this is not the majority of the people tuning in, but someone listening to this episode is going to be like, Kerwin, 
fuck, does that mean I'm never going to be able to focus as well as you because I never had ADHD? <laughs> well, here's the thing. You've heard this before, you know, because I, I, ADHD is an key ingredient. You know, I've observed in a disproportionate amount of self-made entrepreneurs mm. that ADHD is a key ingredient. And I just got mm. off the phone, you know, from a, 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 um, a chat with Stephen Kotler, and he's written the, a, a number of best-selling, 13 books, 10 bestsellers, four New York yeah. Times, you know, two Pulitzer nominations, and this dude's all about performance. Flow states. Yeah, we've and, had him um, a few times. Yeah, he's great. Yeah, he's a yeah. phenomenal human machine. being, right? Beautiful soul too. Absolute yeah. machine. Well, fuck, what was it? Where were we going with this? I just lost my tra train of thought. This hasn't happened in a while. <laughs> we were talking about focus and ADHD. There you go. <laughs> That's a perfect fucking example. There you go, right? Wow. <laughs> 11 11. He did that on 11 11. He did that on 11 11. I had to I had to share my mortality. But this is what I want people to understand, you know. I, yes, I've discovered that a disproportionate amount of people have had uh, ADHD who are self-made, but here's what I've also, you know, Stephen highlighted something earlier. People who compete at the highest level in adrenaline sports, a disproportionate amount of them have really 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 tough, really really hard childhoods. Mm. But what's interesting, does that mean you have to have a really, really tough or a really, really hard childhood in order to be an X Games professional or to be an elite adrenaline sport professional? No. There's a percentage of people that aren't. Mm. And, you know, to say that ADHD is a requirement is just as ignorant as saying, you know, you, you, need, you need not have ADHD in order to be successful. Mm -hmm. It's not about the traits. It's not about going, oh, what do I not have? It's about knowing what you do have. And understanding that every single trait has a benefit and a deficit. Okay, so attention deficit disorder has an attention benefit disorder within it. But what's highlighted is the attention deficit disorder. But what people don't realize, realize is the attention benefit disorder is, yes, I, am, I have a hypersensitivity to boredom that was ex perfectly demonstrated right there. But what I also know is you take someone who's ADHD and you connect them with something they're really interested in. They will outfocus almost any person in the room. Why? Because I'm ADHD. I'm not ADD. I have the hyperactive component. And so by virtue, I have higher levels and higher thresholds for energy. Mm. Okay. But I also have a hypersensitivity to boredom. So yes, I will tune out faster than anyone if I'm focusing on something I'm not interested in. But you focus me on something that I am interested in and I'll, out, I'll run rings around most people because I've got more energy and I have this obsessive nature to be able to focus on things that I'm interested in. Because people have ADHD are also more prone to things like OCD, addiction. Okay, we're a little bit more obsessive. That's not a bad thing. Addiction's not a bad thing. It's an incredibly resourceful disorder. Mm. It's a, not disorder, disorder. It's an incredibly resourceful condition mm. because you learn to actually pursue things that you want, either physically, chemically, or you know, uh, sensually. And by virtue of that, you start to realize, wow, you know, I can literally get the things that I want any time that I want if I'm really addicted to them. And then you go, mm. well, that's a really powerful resourcefulness, mm -hmm. you know. And so if I can take that resourcefulness that's contained in a bad addiction, how can I turn it into a really positive one? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Flip the script on that one. Yeah, I love it. And yeah, it's a matter of perspective. One of the questions I wanted to ask you. It is. And don't get me wrong, because I don't want to dismiss addiction, because I'm someone who's got experience with addiction from a hard hard drugs level from early in life. And I do understand there's a lot more to it than just flipping it. There's a, But one of the things that I've learned in my own journey is the more I get to know and understand myself, the more I understand the condition that is addiction, the easier mm -hmm. it is for me to flip that script. Mm -hmm. But if you're walking through life as an unconscious addict, that can be a very painful place to live. Mm. Mm. The greater the Thanks. pain, the greater the awakening. Mm. Thanks for sharing that. One of the questions I've got is, 
in helping so many people transform their own personal selves and also their businesses. Um, what do you find is kind of the, is it, is most of it like is more commonly than not, and maybe this is 50-50, but maybe you can speak to this, is is it mostly an like an inner process that is holding people back or is it a mechanism that they don't understand, like a system in their business that would help them achieve more? Which it's one is it? It's never a system and, and here's why. Hmm. And it's a great question and you've done your homework, I can tell. Um, and the reason I say this is I can give two people the same systems and one will go and make tens of millions of bucks hmm. and the other one will fuck it up 52 ways to Friday. <laughs> and here's what I've learned. You know, everybody's looking for the extra mile, but they don't realize the extra mile is the six inches between your ears. Mm. It Fundamentally, your psychology will determine your ability to execute on a system and how you execute on a system. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. How you execute on a strategy or how you execute on a tactic and your perspective on that, you know, because I can give one system or one strategy to one person. I go, oh man, this is fucking amazing. Mm. Oh, this is incredible. I give them the same system to someone else. I go, oh, I don't think this will work. This is shit. I don't know why. I don't, this won't work. I can't believe you pay. What? I don't think it's going to work. It won't work for me. I'm different. Mm. You know, it's all a matter of perspective and perception is reality for the individual who's casting the frame on the moment that they're looking at. And so for me, you know, the, 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 we, when we look at personal development, when we look at spiritual development, when we look at, you know, professional or business development, it comes down to your ability to understand how you process information. Mm. You know, and this is the thing. As I said, I started the conversation and I said, you know, we process 16 trillion bits of information every one second. You know, but we're only aware of 2,000 bits of that information. Mm. And how you perceive those 2,000 bits determines what that information means. You know, and everybody has an ego. So by virtue, what do egos give birth to? Bias, mm -hmm. judgment. You know, in most cases, egos don't give birth to balance in perspective. They give birth to bias. Why? Because that's what creates strength in the meaning. Because mm -hmm. you know, we don't want to go, oh, that's bad. Oh, and it's good. Oh, well, that's fucking confusing, isn't it? Is it bad or is it good? Because I need to define, I'm told I'm indecisive. Now I'm not, I'm just, now I'm just not sure. <laughs> People like to be certain. So they like to be able to go, well, this is bad. Well, this is good. Now I'm certain. When you start throwing duality in the mix, you start going, it's both. Well, hang on. That's a little confusing. No, it's not confusing at all. We live in a reality that from the, the very basis of our atomic structures, it's based mm. in equal and opposites. You know, there is an equal parts negative charge, equal parts positive charge that, you know, through the beauty of electromagnetism, give birth to this incredible Newtonian space that we live in. Mm. But what we've got to understand, that physical structure is, an, is, is expressed all the way up through to experience. Mm -hmm. When a tree, I use this as an example, you know, Armit, when a tree falls in the forest, all the other trees don't stand around and go, oh, fuck, Frank, Frank fell over. Frank's dead. Oh, we can't believe Frank's died. Oh, fuck, everyone. Come on, guys, let's all get really sad and we'll mourn Frank. He was such a beautiful tree. He really did reach for the heights of the head. No, they don't do that. They don't think anything. They just go, that's just nature. Mm. And Frank isn't, life isn't lost. It's recycled based on the mm. law of thermodynamics now energy isn't created or destroyed it's just changing form constantly mm -hmm. you know through mm -hmm. growth and degradation and um and annihilation and so frank gets redistributed his moisture gets redistributed his fibers get redistributed his mass gets redistributed his nutrients get redistributed back into the into the network there's nothing mm -hmm. to be sad about frank is now in all the trees frank is now in everything frank mm -hmm. is now the world the carbon it's not sad it's actually happy Mm -hmm. Okay. Whereas a human comes along and Frank dies, they're like, oh my God, Frank, we've lost Frank. <laughs> you know, and don't get me wrong. I've lost a lot of people. I had a disproportionate amount of people that have, you know, that I've lost in my life. I've experienced death and I touch wood. I hope I don't have to fucking eat, you know, eat more shit on what I'm saying here right now. Mm, touch wood. But what I do know is we don't, nothing is created, you know, nothing is given or taken away. It's just being reformed. Mm -hmm. And so when we experience a loss of something or when we experience something as being bad, 
all that is is an imbalance in, our, in human that is an imbalance which is the, the human condition humans by virtue of being humans are imbalanced by virtue mm. our pursuit of evolution is balance but most people don't have the user's manual to work that out but what we've got to understand there is no bad in isolation without there being equal and opposite good there is no good in isolation without there being equal opposite bad and our psychology when governed with a level of perspective and curiosity can create that balance we call that hindsight you know how many times does something bad happen to someone and then three years later, they've looked back and gone, "Fuck, you know what? Now that I now that I think about it, <laughs> it's a blessing in disguise. These good things that have happened. <laughs> yeah. Shit, that wasn't <laughs> a bad thing. It was actually a really good thing. Congratulations, you just lost three years of your life judging and losing. <laughs> you know, by virtue of not seeing the harmony in the moment. Whereas for me, I'm like, okay, and this is what I teach in how to create. How do we create hindsight in a moment? How do we condition ourselves to the point where we do this so frequently and so regularly with such levels of, you know, determination, passion and organization that it, all of a sudden after, you know, let's call it days, weeks, months or years of application, it just becomes autonomous. And we don't no longer see things as good or bad. We just constantly view things as imbalanced because we're able to see things complementing each other constantly. You know, the greatest example or greatest definition of love I've ever heard is love is the synthesis of complementary opposites seen in synchronicity. You know, and that's it in our ability to look at something, see the bad, but mm. then in the same moment be able to see the good and see them both simultaneously and go, fuck, that's a whole picture right there. Mm. That's love. <laughs> that's love. <laughs> that's beautiful, brother. Thank you so much for sharing that. Wow. I did want to have a conversation around balance and burnout. And uh, I think we've we've gone way deeper than I even imagined we could go. <laughs> um, some practical tools, though, for those that are tuning in um, that potentially are burning out in their business um, and the conversation around balance and burnout. What are your thoughts on that? Yes. I've got a great one. You're a fucking professional athlete, so start acting like one. Mm. You know, most people don't realize that, you know, being a business owner, you're a professional athlete. Oh, no, I'm not. I'm just an accountant. No. You, if a fucking esports gamer can sit there with his little fucking doobie whacker and get paid 20 million bucks a year and he's called a professional athlete, you, Mr. Accountant, you, Mr. Baker, you, Mr. Mechanic, you're a professional athlete as well. Mm -hmm. And what you've got to understand is by virtue of you seeing yourself not as a professional athlete, that's why you're burning out. Because what athletes can't do is they can't go, Federer cannot compete every single day of the week, Monday through Friday. He can't. It's just impossible. He doesn't have the, the, the physical ability to do that. Mm -hmm. Why? He has to take periods of active recovery and non-active recovery, inactive recovery. And his ability to take active and inactive recovery enables his systems and all of his biology and his neurology, you know, with balanced nutrition and hydration to, you know, rebalance itself so that when he comes back on the court, he's fresh. Okay, and so what, how do we know if, you know, if Federer's not, fre Federer's not fresh? Well, he's off his game. Mm -hmm. And in most mm -hmm. cases, why is someone off their game? Because they're overtrained. They've mm -hmm. overcompeted. They've tried to do you know, too many grand slams in a year. Mm. Whereas most business owners, they don't take a moment to go, well, hang on a second, I'm a professional. How do you, how do you, what's it, damn it, okay. I know you're a civil engineer, but I'm pretty sure you understand sports. Mm. What's the difference between an amateur sports person and a professional sports person? I imagine the amateur is working really hard to build their chops and their skills to get to a certain level of performance. Whereas the professional has that ability and also knows how to rest and recover themselves and then when to perform and no. when to recover and when to perform. True, but no. A professional gets paid. An amateur doesn't. <laughs> True. It's really okay. fucking simple. Yeah. <laughs> it's simple. You know, if you're a professional, you're getting paid. If you're an amateur, you're doing it because it's a fucking hobby. A hobby. Gotcha. And most business owners are hobbyists. 
they're mm-hmm. working like amateurs. And the reason they're working like amateurs because they're not taking it seriously and they're treating it like a hobby. Okay? When you're a professional, you're getting paid. And if you can't compete effectively, you're not going to be able to make as much, much, as much money. What determines someone's professional capability? How much they get paid. Mm-hmm. What determines your professional ranking? How, how many games you win and ultimately how much you get paid. Mm-hmm. You, want to start getting, you want to start experiencing less burnout and more success? Start behaving like a fucking athlete. You know, Realize that there is levels of competition. Now, here's the thing. Entrepreneurship is the hardest sport on the planet. Why? Because mm-hmm. most of us are competing you know, for disproportionate amounts of time versus Federer. You know, versus esports gamer, competition and training are not the same thing. Competition has a level of stress. Competition mm-hmm. has a level of pressure. Mm-hmm. And so by virtue of being an entrepreneur, we have disproportionate amounts of competition time, mm-hmm. which needs to be balanced with disproportionate amounts of rest and recovery, mm-hmm. disproportionate mm-hmm. amounts of training. And combine that with good hydration and good nutrition and tell me how many entrepreneurs you know that, you know, even drink enough water every single day, mm-hmm. let alone make sure they put in the right fucking nutrients in their mouth mm-hmm. and they don't fill it full of sugars and pro, you know, processed foods and simple, you know, pr- simple carbohydrates and coffees and alcohols and mm-hmm. yeah, and, and you start to look at, okay, well, hang on, how is it that Federer's works so well? Well, he's got a very specific diet and hydration plan. You know, he doesn't put shit in his system because he understands that affects his ability to play on the sport, on the on the on the court. You know, he's not up at eleven o'clock the night before fucking you know the final of Wimbledon. You know, watching fucking Lost. You know, he's making sure he's getting a nice early night so that he's fresh the next morning. Hmm. So my advice is, if you're experiencing burnout, start behaving like a professional athlete. Because if you're getting paid, you're a professional athlete. And if you're not getting paid enough, then you're not treating it with enough respect. Hmm. Thanks for that, brother. Appreciate it. Great perspective it. to have on it. Uh, running on the duality and the balance, uh, we touched on this a little bit about competition. Competition versus collaboration. Is there a whole new, like, are we going through a collective awakening where we're slowly moving towards more greater levels of collaboration? Um, or is there just a balance between cooperation, uh, collaboration and cooperation? What's, what's you the know, rub it's in interesting. there? The num- one of the number one primal drivers of mammals is collaboration mm. because that's how we survive. Yeah. You know, you look at her, you look at National Geographic, you look at any mammalian pack behavior, herd behavior, how do they survive? They survive in numbers. And how do they, how do they maintain and optimize survival? They collaborate. And so it's fair to say that one of our number one intrinsic drivers unconsciously is to collaborate. We've just put in environments where we're not doing it in an effective way. Mm-hmm. To me, competition is an important part of life. Mm-hmm. Don't make, make no mistakes. I'm a competitor. Mm-hmm. I'm just not a predator. Mm-hmm. And you understand the difference, right? I'd like it. A competitor is someone who is competing for an outcome. Mm -hmm. A predator is someone that wants to eat something. Mm. And so for me, I love to compete. I love competition. But it's just making sure who you're competing with Mm -hmm. and what is the scoreboard. Whereas for me, I don't compete with anyone. People say, oh, you know, are you trying to be the next Tony Robbins? No, I will never be the next Tony Robbins. And I don't want to be the next Tony Robbins because Tony's got that, that mantle. Mm. Okay, and he's done a f- fucking great job of doing it. Mm-hmm. People say, "Oh, you're the Australian version of Gary Vee." No, I'm not. I'm the Australian version of Kerwin Ray. Mm. Okay, and Gary is the American version of Gary. He's the world <laughs> version of Gary. Mm. And so for me, I'm not competing with anyone. Okay, I compete with myself. Mm-hmm. I'm competing with my scorecards, my dashboards, what makes me better, my fulfillment, mm-hmm. which is my number one scorecard. Mm-hmm. Do I feel good about what I do every day? Do I feel hungry to do what I do every single day? Because if I'm not, if I'm not hungry, I'm not a competitor, okay. And in most cases, I'm not going to be able to compete at the levels that are required in order for me to be constantly out doing my PBs. Mm-hmm. 
Mm. And so for me, yeah, competition is an important aspect, but it's understanding where competition shows up and how competition shows up. Because I also know one of the reasons I compete with me and I don't compete with others, and I learned this through sports, by becoming a good loser, because I was a really good loser in sports as well. The only thing I was really good at in athletics was um, sprinting. So I was like fast as man. I could, I, and like that was, I was good because I knew how to run away from things that were scary, <laughs> right? And so I was a really good sprinter, but I learned how to lose in a lot of different scenarios. Mm. But one of the things I realized, whether I was, you know, in athletics or uh, otherwise, the more I focused on trying to beat someone, Mm-mm. the more stress I experienced. Mm. Because that's just not in my nature. My nature isn't mm. to beat somebody. Now, don't get me wrong. I love to fucking hand, you know, hand someone's ass to them on the ping pong table, especially if they're one of my best mates. <laughs> but that's not what gets me the ti- that's not what gets me the title. What gets me the title is me being able to compete with men. And do you know what I'm competing with? I'm competing with my ability to be unemotional mm. and be able to regulate my emotions. I'm competing with my own ability to be able to regulate my stress and not be in stress. Mm. That's what I'm competing with. Because here's what I know. If my emotions win, if they overtake me, I fucking lost. If my stress wins and my stress overtakes me, I fucking lost. And so for me, I'm not competing with you. I'm competing Mm. with my biology, okay? Mm. Because my biology is going to determine whether I can win for me. And if I can, if, and here's the thing, if I can compete with my biology and if I can beat stress and beat emotion as a natural consequence, I'll guarantee you, I'll probably beat you in the process without even thinking about it. Mm, the scoreboard will look after itself. <laughs> yeah, it yeah. does. But here's a perfect example. I don't compete for money. Mm. I don't. I just do the things that as a natural consequence, large amounts of money are produced and kept. Mm. And so I don't have to focus on making money. I focus on the things where as a natural consequence, money happens. Mm. You don't have to focus on winning the game. You have to focus on the things where as a natural consequence, the probability, the increase, the probability is more likely for that to be a reality. Mm-hmm. And so for me, what is the one thing that destroys potential? What is the one thing that destroys flow? People who can't control their emotions. Mm-hmm. People who can't control their stress. And people who have the inability about to regulate their perspective because they see things as being good or bad. Right. And that, to me, is the human condition. Wow. I love that. There's so much that we've dived into right there. And so one of the things I wanted to tune into, so Power of Create, we talked about values, we talked about hindsight, we're talking about emotional mastery, um, regulating your stress. Are there anything else in there that you really love to share around um, some of the key inner tools that you love sharing with people? Look, I think there's a really good framework there. And I, look, I'm very blessed. I, I have, I don't have a lot of products to sell. You know, I've got mm. two basic programs. We've got Power to Create, which is really for anyone who just wants to perform at a high level in life. Mm-hmm. You know, whether you're a mum, a dad, elite professional athlete, a spec ops, like a, a business owner, entrepreneur, but I've also got Nail It and Scale It. And that's where mm. I really refine the process on the business side. And K2 mm-hmm. Elite is where I work with people on an ongoing basis. The concepts that I've shared with you here are the concepts that I share with all of my clients. But if there's mm-hmm. one concept that we haven't really touched on that I'd really say is the, and we actually know we have, is the power of learning through others' experience. Mm-hmm. You know, because I know we've touched on it here, and oftentimes, you know, humans, as and I don't know if I said this to you, I think I did. Stupid comes first. <laughs> you know, and most people are trying to work everything out on their own. Mm-hmm. When I can guarantee you, there's you know five. 50, 500, 5,000, 5 million people have already worked it out. Mm. Mm-hmm. Stop being so fucking arrogant that you think you have to do it too. Because mm-hmm. that just, because there's a difference between pain and suffering. And you, mm-hmm. you know this. You know, pain is like my back hurts. 
suffering is like, oh, fuck, my back. Jesus, my back is so sore. My God, my back is just so sore. This chair is just, you know. Suffering is the continual absorption of a situation. Pain and grit go hand in hand. Suffering, don't get me wrong, yeah, suffering and, you know, grit is your ability to suffer. But for me, suffering or grit, I should say, is the ability to experience pain and not have to suffer through it. Mm. or being able to enjoy the process of suffering. But most people experience way too much suffering mm-hmm. because they think they have, to, they, have to, they have to go through it themselves. And you don't have to. You don't have to. Mm. You know, I am a slow learner. I thought I had to do everything myself. And I'm now finally 46, you know, heading towards 47 years of age. And, you know, every year I get better at asking for help. Mm. And here's what I, I've learned. The more I ask for help, easier life becomes because the more resources I have available to me you know because you know Jim Rowan said it best don't wish that you had less problems wish that you had better skills or don't mm. wish that you know life was easier wish that you were better mm-hmm. you know and so for me one of the ways that you can develop a whole range of skills and resources very quickly is ask someone who's got them to help you mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. get a coach get a mentor and ask for support yeah get a sometimes it's just a friend a friend you know yeah and, you know for me you know, I don't want this to sound like a sales pitch, you know, but I've spent the last, let's call it, heading now towards 30 years mm-hmm. studying, obsessing around human performance mm-hmm. in the application of, you know, business specifically. Mm-hmm. But what a lot of people don't realize is I honed this craft in the area of sports. Mm-hmm. You know, I honed this craft with a massive obsession with military. And so for me, I've had the great privilege of being able to work with spec ops in the US, spec ops in Europe, but I've also had the great privilege of being able to work with elite professional athletes from a whole range of different disciplines. Mm-hmm. I've also had the great privilege of being able to work with a whole bunch of professional entrepreneurial athletes as well. Mm-hmm. And here's what I've realized. We're all the same, mm-hmm. but everyone's desperate to try and be different in some way, but we all work very fundamentally the same. Mm-hmm. Thank you so much Just for sharing buttons that. are different. Thank you so much for sharing that, Cohen. One of the... Um, Last things I want to tune in, your podcast, Unstoppable, I'm a massive fan of. Yes. Um, one of my favorite conversations Thanks, on that mate. podcast was with uh, you and Peter Crone. Is there a favorite that you've had? Or I know there's probably heaps, oh. like you love all of them, but like, is if there one that jumps Peter, out to you? you've actually probably nailed Peter's probably the most <laughs> special one because what a lot of people don't realize is that happened. Um, so Peter gave me that, uh, that healing mm. uh, and my eye, everybody got the opportunity and I wish we'd been able to track it more effectively to see mm. the healing and you know, the, the progress that the, of, that the healing had and how mm. quickly. But what a lot of people don't realize is that night I was in Dogtown in LA and I went to a Mexican restaurant with Matias, my filmmaker, and it was the only time he didn't have his camera with him. He normally always has his camera, but I was literally like, mate, have a night off. Mm. And um, we walked into Dogtown, we went to a cheesy ass cheap Mexican restaurant Mm -hmm. and we sat down and I ordered a margarita and then before I even sipped my first sip of the margarita I I got smashed with the vision and the vision just kept on streaming it was like a download Uh and it didn't stop for about 25 minutes and I couldn't talk all I had was tears just kept coming and it started with me just saying I now know what I need to do and and it just came out of nowhere and I was like fuck where'd that come from and Matthias looked at me and goes what do you need to do and I was just like fucking bang and I just couldn't talk. And I, you know, I have only shared that vision with two people so far. And, you know, in essence, it's going to get shared with a lot more people as time goes on. But that mm-hmm. to me, that he opened up something within me that day that was already there, but he just 
fucking scratch the, the the surface off it and so for me that podcast without a doubt and also um if i throw in one more there my very first podcast with dr vanessa lapointe um it was a three-hour podcast it was mm -hmm. m m epic mm -hmm. it was all around parenting early childhood development which helps a lot of adults to understand their own situations but yeah absolutely phenomenal Awesome. I'll tune into that. Guys, I highly recommend you checking out Unstoppable. If you're tuning into this, it's, uh, yeah, you'll get similar sort of content. It's just beautiful. And Kerwin always rocks up humble and humorous, um, which I love. So, brother, thank you so much thank for you, your time and energy here today, your presence and informing us and sharing just your wisdom with the Inspired Evolution tribe. Um, we're all aware that it doesn't just, uh, like you said, you're an overnight success. So we just want to thank you <laughs> for all the, the all the energy and all the years that puts in that you've put into the hard work to cultivate and inform this conversation you, that we get to have here today. Thank you so much. And My um, on behalf of everybody here in the Inspired Evolution tribe and community, we're wishing you all the best going forward. And uh, you, yeah, brother. we'll put some links for people to connect with you uh, in the show notes here. Thanks again. I appreciate that. Namaste, namaskar. Till next time, <laughs> say Adi Mum for me. <laughs> you! Thanks for listening in to another amazing episode of the Inspired Evolution. If you're loving these episodes, make your way across to YouTube, click subscribe. Fresh episodes are launched every Monday with highlights being released throughout the week. Thank you so much. And hey guys, just so you know, a lot of love, heart, soul and work goes into these episodes. So if you could, please leave us a five-star review and comment on iTunes. I love reading your positive feedback. It fans the flames of the passion to continue to create and help you live the life that you love. Thank you so much for your wonderful feedback. I can't wait to see you again in the next episode. Big love from Amrit. And remember to stay inspired to evolve. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.